Welcome to the Insight Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Caitlin Chasser. Caitlin is a GP, sleep consultant, and co-founder of The Sleep Project. We talk about what to do when you're stuck in a pattern of bad sleep, how to break the sleep stress cycle, quick wins for improving sleep, the role of supplements in sleep, and more. Enjoy the episode. So how did you sleep last night, Caitlin? Well, that's an interesting question because normally I'm a great sleeper. And somehow I knew you were going to ask this question. (laughs) And last night, uh, and I'm not blaming you, Sam, but um, last night I slept really badly. And it was the first time for ages. And when I woke up this morning, I thought, oh, this is terrible. I'm going on to a podcast to talk about sleep. I'm a sleep expert. And he's going to ask me how my sleep was. And it was really bad last night. But actually, I think it's actually quite a good opportunity to talk about why my sleep was bad last night because mm-hmm. it's really relevant to, to lots of people. So the reason I got into being a sleep specialist from kind of the background of being a GP was actually I had a period of quite bad insomnia about 10 years ago where I was really struggling with my sleep. And um, sort of the general sort of approach to sleep medicine in kind of general practice and medical school is it, it's pretty neglected actually um i think we had one lecture which was on sleeping mm-hmm. tablets and uh, obstructive sleep apnea and so actually the difficulties of sleep are generally not known about as a kind of core part of general practice or or hospital medicine except within the sleep clinics itself um and so i started this journey of discovery about um how to fix my own sleep and through that, actually discovered a huge amount of things that we can do to fix sleep. And mm. that then has led to me doing the, the specialty I'm doing at the moment. And um, But because I've had sleep problems in the past, I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit more prone to having them in the future. And that's because there's some predisposing factors that make some people more vulnerable to it. Um, so, for example, women are a little bit more at risk than men, actually quite a bit more at risk. Uh, people with mental health conditions or anxiety or depression, uh, people who've got caregiving uh, duties, so for children or for parents or, or anyone else in the family, um, and someone who's had a sort of new diagnosis of any sort of illness or um, also family history is really important. So there was a few things in, in my past that will always make me a little bit more prone. Mm. But then your question about... Uh, I'm going to ask you tomorrow about your sleep, then focus my mind on sleep. And one of the things about good sleepers is they don't think about it. They get into bed and they go to sleep and it just happens and it's kind of this natural process. But if you've ever had a period of insomnia, literally the only thing you can think about is sleep. And you wake up in the morning feeling tired and you're desperate to sleep. And then you spend all day thinking about how you're going to get some sleep. And then you get to bed and you're dreading going to sleep and the whole thing starting again. And then when you're lying awake at night, again, you're thinking about nothing but sleep. So as soon as that thought pops into your head to think about sleep, it actually can have a really detrimental effect on your sleep. And so you have to become like good sleepers and just not think about it. But that's a little bit more challenging. And then the other thing that, that happened is. Um, it happens my husband is away at the moment and so last night um, he wasn't in the house and normally it's he's got two big roles in the, in the evening time one he locks up the house and makes sure everything's safe in the evening and I'm a bit of a worrier and so I was the person who did it and then I was in bed thinking oh, have I locked everything up have I done yeah. it and that's a big thing with people with insomnia they tend to worry and um, also uh, he's the person who tends to go to look after our kids if they wake up at the night, mm. um, which is fantastic. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. And it's actually a great tip for people who are having children who wake up. Uh, one of our, uh, our baby sleep experts shared this. If you can get 
the, the, the man to go or that the partner who doesn't do as much of the caregiving, sometimes the expectations from the children are a little bit lower. And so they then go back to sleep a little bit quicker because if it's mum, they want cuddles, they want someone to get into bed, they want them to sit with them until they go back to sleep. But if it's dad, they, they tend to be a little bit more sort of run through the functions. So he wasn't there. And so then I was listening out for the children and being a little bit more aware. And mm. what these things do is they switch on the sort of stress part of our brain. And if we think about the stress part of our brain, it's the, the sort of sympathetic nervous system, which is the, the fight or flight bit. And it's kind of designed by evolution to um, help us if we're fighting off a tiger or under attack. And obviously, those are the bits of time when you really don't want to be asleep. And <laughs> by design, it works great. You're awake. But especially in kind of the, the modern world that we live in, our sympathetic nervous system can be switched on by lots of things, being kind of yeah. hyper-stimulated by worries. And as soon as it does, it switches off that getting to sleep process. And the other thing it does, which I don't think many people know about, is it can actually um, reduce the quality of your sleep. Now, the reason for that is that when we're asleep, that's the time when we're most vulnerable to kind of attack if that's going to happen in, in this modern world but mm. um, in deep sleep if you've ever carried in a sleeping child and they're deep asleep they're quite difficult to wake mm. uh, and then in dream sleep your muscles are paralyzed and to stop you from acting out dreams so you're very vulnerable at night in those deeper stages and the dream stages of sleep so if you go to bed a little bit overstimulated a little bit stressed what happens is our brains don't let us go into those deeper stages of sleep, which makes sleep less satisfying mm -hmm. and also means that in the lighter stages of sleep, we're more aware of our surroundings. And because of that, sometimes what we perceive as being awake is actually the light stages of sleep and we confuse those in our brains. So a whole combination of things <laughs> means that if you kind of overstimulate your sympathetic nervous system before bed or think about sleep too much you can then end up having a, a poor night's sleep so overall that that's kind of what happened last night um but i thought it might be useful to talk through some of those things yeah for sure for, for lots of different reasons first of all i'm sorry if i had any role in your <laughs> sleep last night <laughs> that's not what i intend to do with guests um but i think lots of people can certainly relate to that um that kind of that stress sleep cycle of you you're getting yourself worked up about sleep and so then you don't sleep well and then the next day you're worked up and it just it can carry on can't it and also yeah. I think all of us have experienced that. Oh, well, I know I've got to get up early tomorrow. Perhaps you're going on holiday and you need to get to the airport for a certain time. I know that I always sleep terribly. I just can't help it. Even though, you know, you've set three alarms on your phone and one by the bed and all this stuff, um, you still will sleep terribly, won't you? And yeah, that's, an, that's a really classic example, actually. Mm. When you've set your alarm, you know you've got to get a flight and you just get rubbish sleep. Yeah. And you might only know that you've got five hours and pressure to sleep because you've got to get up early and that's when you get the, the worst sleep. And for people with insomnia, that's kind of the experience that they have all the time. Right, right, yeah. So getting into that cycle of of stress, cycle uh, stress, worrying about sleep, and and then not sleeping well, yeah. Oh man, it's it's so tough. Um, I thought the, the tip you gave about your your husband and the the, the kind of the partner to, that would go and come for the children that's really interesting. A nice little tip to start off with. I'd, I've never heard that before, so it's, it makes it's sense really to me as well. Useful. And and yeah. um, I'm not the sort of baby sleep specialist, but but know from my conversations about particularly if your baby links. Uh, sort of breastfeeding or milk feeds with going to sleep and associates it with mum sometimes mm. if it's actually dad going in they don't have that same association so when mm. dad goes in they're not looking for milk and then they're much more likely just to go back to sleep yeah it might just be a quick comfort and then they they are ready to go back to sleep yeah, exactly exactly all right um but the, all, all of that how it plays into the kind of um the anxiety around sleep, because I guess that 
now we're more aware of how important sleep is, which is great. We know more about the health benefits, the uh, both physical health, mental health benefits of sleep. But then I suppose with that comes some anxiety around sleep. And I guess that's what you're speaking to. And, and is there anything else that you would um, say about that, like that that balance of knowing how important sleep is, but not getting so so stressed about it. Like for example, this morning you've woken up and you know that you haven't had a very good sleep, but generally you sleep well. I posted something on on Instagram recently about um, some you know steps I recommend to a good sleep, and I and I said in that you know I sleep well probably eighty to ninety percent of the time, and I from what I understand that's okay and that's normal. Like it's not that we are all going to be these super zen sleepers every single night um, like clockwork. It feels like yes, you can have an interrupted night, and you know it's it's not the end of the world. Yes, it's not great. Yes, the next day you'll be feeling groggy and maybe not performing as well as you'd like to. Um, but move on. Just just set yourself up for the, the 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 night that's coming up, and and you know you're away again. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's really really important. And actually, there was a, a, a great study done looking at people who have a bad night. What the next light is likely to be like, mm. um, because everyone, even good sleepers, have a bad night now and then. And like I had a bad night last night, but I know I'm going to be fine tonight, and I don't worry about it. And that's yeah. you need to try and hold on to that. But this study said that if you have a bad night, your chances of having a good night the next night are 60%. And if you're unlucky enough to have two bad nights in a row, by your third night, it's a 90% chance of it being okay. And mm. sometimes if you can just hold on to that, oh, it's just a bad night, tomorrow will be fine, then that's that can be really helpful because all you need to do is kind of diffuse that thought in your head of kind of anxiety and panic around mm. sleep. And it has an incredible calming impact on the brain, which can really help you get off to sleep. And I think there's there's lots of, uh, particularly at the moment, lots of information out there about the importance of sleep and how great sleep is. And yes, all of those things are true, but it isn't particularly helpful for those people who are struggling to sleep. Yeah. Um, and for most people who are, who are having difficulty sleeping, they've looked to see whether or not it has a detrimental impact on their overall health. And actually, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that they die sooner, die younger, have negative impacts except on their mental health, um, which is why it's so, so important if you are having sleep problems that are becoming a bit more ingrained and you're struggling to kind of break that cycle to, to get help. Um, mm -hmm. And there's really, really good treatments um, where there's excellent success rates in breaking that cycle and teaching you those techniques so that, yes, you might be more prone to having another bout of insomnia, but you know how to fix it and you know how to get yourself out of the patterns really quickly. Yeah, exactly. So so act and do something about it and don't let it become your new normal, I suppose, which is perhaps as a society we have, I mean, as I understand it, we're sleeping a lot less and not getting the quality of sleep that we used to get, I suppose, a hundred years ago when, you know, we didn't have all these distractions and blue light and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, recognize it. We don't let that become the new normal. Go out and seek help from, you know, organizations such as yourself <laughs> that you've said. I think, I think there's two groups of people. There's some people who are just not getting enough sleep because sleep's sort of slipped down their priority list or they're so stimulated by the world that they're living in that they no longer feel that sensation of tiredness or value sleep and rest and and they're a little bit different because they, they have no problem falling or staying asleep but they might not be giving them enough themselves enough sleep opportunities so time right. in bed to to get the sleep that they need and then there's the other group where actually their difficulty is getting to sleep or staying asleep and and the two actually approaches are a little bit different one's about making space for sleep and the other one is trying to look at the root cause for why they're having problems and try to break some of those cycles that are leading to ongoing poor sleep right yeah yeah it makes sense to me and later on I want to ask you about some of the kind of quick wins to improving sleep I suppose around habits and environment and things yeah but before we get on to that and and before I ask you about just some of these benefits that we have touched upon, why sleep is so important, um, I've got to ask about, you were saying about getting worked up before you go to bed and, and feeling a bit stressed and anxious, and then that's preventing you from falling asleep. So 
is there, and I know, I know this is a bit off the cuff, but is there one, one thing that you think has helped patients? Like, um, I know, is it meditation or is it breath work or is it journaling or something like that? I see all of these types of tips for when mm-hmm. someone is in a situation like that, they're lying in bed and they're ruminating and then they can't switch off. Is there, is there one thing that you would recommend, which I know is a very, um, <laughs> that's a bit uh, specific and every, and there's individual cases, but I'm just curious. I thought I'd ask. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the difficulty is it's really personal. For right, some yeah. people, breath work is great and really easy to ex- access. For other people, there's a lovely thing called the body scan, which you mm. can use, which is kind of a, a progressive relaxation of different parts of your body. For other people, it's about visualization. So walking through a park or imagining themselves make a, making a recipe, or it's just about distracting the brain in whichever way you can that starts to switch it off and mm. you can almost feel it in your body where you, when you've got the right technique you kind of get this kind of calm almost sort of oozy feeling where suddenly it feels like everything is relaxing and often you have to play around with different techniques right. and the best time to practice is actually during the day and we do know that the more you practice these techniques the better you get at them so the one that probably has the most evidence behind it is actually uh, what's called um, sort of cyclical breathing, which is a kind of breath work technique where you breathe in for four, hold for six, and breathe out for seven. Mm. And you need to do that for about five minutes each day, and it reduces anxiety and has been shown to also improve sleep. And if you practice it during the day, it then means at the point when you're starting to have thoughts whirling around your head in the middle of the night, you can then start picking it back up again and go, okay, I'm going to return to the the breathing. And the other thing that's really important is if you're starting to become frustrated and you're finding that sleep is just not happening, no matter which of these techniques you use, get out of bed and go somewhere else and do something else until you start feeling sleepy again. One of the problems when you're having sleep problems is your bed becomes this place where mm-hmm. it's associated with not sleeping and tossing and turning. And actually those feelings of frustration are part of the problem. And so you have to, as soon as that first kind of sensation comes, you go, stop, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to sit somewhere quietly. It can even be a, a, a chair by the side of the bed and do something else. And then when you feel really sleepy, try again. And it's all about relearning the technique of going to sleep without that kind of frustration and, and not trying anymore. Right. Yeah. I think I've heard Dr. Matthew Walker say you wouldn't sit at the dinner table waiting to get hungry. So don't, lie, <laughs> yeah. don't lie in bed waiting to get sleepy. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's absolutely. a good and it's something that I've used in the past as well on those nights where it's just not happening give it I don't know I think I've given it 20 minutes half an hour sometimes even longer because you're like wrestling with it then you think right no no come on this isn't happening get out of bed go to the living room maybe read but maybe I'd put on something you know I might put on a comedy or something like that and yes not ideal with a screen but I think actually in that kind of situation I'm just watching something that's uh, switching my mind off and starting to feel a bit calmer and then and then try again so to speak absolutely absolutely and it's not meant to be a time of punishment Actually, yes, yeah. go and do something that you like doing. Uh, watch TV. I'm actually, I, there's good evidence that the, the blue light in screens and technology doesn't inhibit sleep. Um, it can be that it's a bit um, sort of addictive in that you keep on scrolling, but actually there's some really good new evidence that the blue light in screens don't stop you from sleeping. So if you want to watch a series, that's absolutely fine. And often sometimes a series is quite nice because it's, you can get a short episode, maybe 30 minutes. You watch yeah. one and you go at the end of 30 minutes, I'm going to go back to bed. And by then you're feeling nice and sleepy and calm. And as long as it's not something too kind of either addictive or kind of stimulating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Might not it, be a good idea. It, it can be great. Or uh, bake some cookies or organize your sock drawer, whatever you want to do. Mm. And, but don't work. Don't pick up mm. your, your, your work laptop. And don't do anything that's going to make you more stressed or anxious. So sort of checking emails or social media sometimes can be really stimulating. So probably avoid those things. Mm. So what you say about the blue light 
doesn't that fly in the face of everything that we've heard in the past five years where it's blue light, blue light, you've got to get some blue light blockers, you've got to change the um, settings on your whatever screens you're watching to stop it. So I'm interested to hear more about that. Um, but at, at the same time, what you said about, um, you know, watching something addictive or kind of si- stimulating, I have heard more things around that recently. Yeah, that it's not, it's not the fact that people are, it's not the blue light from the screens that people are watching in bed. It's the fact that they're scrolling through a TikTok video like once every three seconds and going like that. And of course, then you're not calming down and getting into that rest and digest mode you're more in the flight or fight because you're being stimulated by all these images and videos um yeah interesting that's that's the first i've heard that oh actually blue light might not be as detrimental as we've been told yeah there's been some really good studies and a lot of the work has been led by michael gradisar in australia uh looking at uh, the, the impact of blue light on sleep and actually i think even matthew walker has sort of come around to the idea that, is that blue right? light um, is, is really not as impactful on our sleep as, as lots of people said, but it is that kind of addictive thing where uh, sort of it's called bedtime uh, procrastination where you just keep on watching more, watching more, one more video. And it's really difficult. They're designed yeah. to be addictive. Yeah, we've all been there. I've been sat on the sofa and I realise an hour has passed and all I've been doing is scrolling through Instagram reels. And I'm like, Sam, what have you just done with an hour of your evening? I just, but that's, like you said, that's how they're designed, isn't it? Okay. Um, I'd like to move on to uh, a bit of a, a practical kind of situation, scenario that involves two of my friends, if that's okay. Um, so two of my friends, I've got two children um, and their youngest is... I hope I don't get this wrong. I'm fairly sure she's two years old, almost three. Um, But she's uh, going through a period of very interrupted sleep at the moment. Um, So my friends say that she's waking up about every two hours. So she does get um, flare-ups with her eczema. And I think that has been bad recently. But um, at the same time, my friend did say, well, he doesn't think it's so much that. He he thinks it's more of a comfort thing because actually when when they go and and collect her from a bedroom and take her into their bed and kind of comfort her, she does settle down quite quickly and will get back to sleep. So they're thinking, well, it can't be the eczema because, you know, all all they're doing is is holding her and comforting her to get back to sleep. but with that, with that being the case, that she's waking up every couple of hours, obviously their sleep is really suffering because of that. Um, I'm just wondering what you would say to a couple in in, in a situation like this. And I'm, I am kind of particularly interested in um, what you'd say to, to, to my two friends, to, to the mum and dad that are losing a lot of sleep at the moment and kind of going through a really difficult period. What would a, a sleep consultant say to them uh, about then their mindset, their approach to the evenings and the mornings and the day, just just anything that you could offer, I'd, I'd be really grateful and I'd like to think they would as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it can be it really difficult when you have little ones who just need comfort during the night. Mm-hmm. And if they're having a flare up and something physical that's causing the problem, then, then you've got to be there for them. And so you're almost in that survival mode as parents. Mm-hmm. You just got to get through and they'll be sleep deprived. And so they're going to need to figure out ways to get some sleep back into their lives. And whether that's going to bed a bit early or having a nap during the afternoon, they need to get some downtime to rest and rejuvenate because you can't go long term with sleep deprivation and not suffer the the effects of it. But I guess also from the, the... perspective with this child I've got a couple ideas of things that, that might make a difference yeah great um, because it sounds like maybe as you said that it's a little bit more than the eczema and maybe she's ended up in a little bit of a pattern and there's, there's nowhere nicer for a child than the parent's bed <laughs> and once they've kind of discovered that if they call out in the night they get to go into lovely mummy's cuddly mummy and daddy's bed sometimes that's what they want more than anything and so one potential solution would be actually to swap the problem around a little bit and go into her room and sleep with her. So on a mattress on the floor or next door or whatever it is for a few nights until her sleep has settled back into a pattern. And then at that point, slowly withdraw the um, sort of support so um, at first, they might have the mattress next to her, then a little bit further away, then out in the hallway and the back in their own bedroom. 
And what that does is the parents are able to get a little bit better quality sleep because they're nearby and a comfort may just be putting out a hand or saying shh or whatever's needed and then re-establishes her sleeping patterns and then slowly withdraws that support. And then if, if possible, if kind of there's a, a time when she wakes up again in the future, once she's re-established her good sleep patterns, going in to be with her rather than take her back to the bed can be really effective. Um, and the other thing too, often, um, you know, this is more from our pediatric sleep expert, but um, we, we work very closely together. Mm. Um, but often at two, they're still having naps, but their naps might be a little bit too long. So sometimes just looking to shorten the nap slightly might mean that she's a little bit more sleepy in the evening time and then she falls into the deeper quality sleep. And if you're in the good quality sleep, you're much less likely to wake up and then go, oh, I need comfort to get back to sleep. Interesting. Great. Yeah, I'll certainly share that with them and I'll let you know if they have any success, which I'm hoping that they do. Um, you said about um, in terms of the parents, them getting to bed earlier. And I think my friend said to me the other night, you know, Sam, we're going to bed at like 7.30 at the moment. So I really feel for them. Um, what a, what a time it must be to kind of like be losing some of your evenings and then going through that disturbed sleep I just can't I can't even imagine yeah but but as long as the eczema is under good control and sometimes it's worth going back to the doctor to make sure it is Mm. in the kind of treated as well as you can for most little ones even if there's skin things or other things happening it it is possible to get them sleeping well again and uh, that's so important because the parents sleep deprivation for parents is uh, very real very real yes yeah i've got three sisters and a brother 12 nieces and nephews so yes i've i've seen how real it is for sure (laughs) (laughs) well not firsthand yet um we'll see (laughs) um right perhaps we can move on to some more general approaches then you've already shared some excellent tips on um kind of choosing from that menu of approaches if you're in bed and you're struggling to sleep whether it's um whether it's breath work or meditation or body scans, which I really like. But um, what else? What about kind of three or five quick wins that just anybody could pick up and try that might well improve their sleep? Sure. My my number one um, is get up at the same time every single day. Um, Now, the reason that's important is that our circadian rhythm, our internal body clock, which is within every cell in our body and sets uh, the timer on when all the, our hormones are released and how our sleep functions and how much of different types of sleep we have overnight so that it exactly fits what your body needs, um, can't shift more than half an hour uh, per night. And so if you're going to bed for example, two hours later than you normally do and sleeping in two hours later, all the hormones that are released are happening at just the wrong time. And if they happen at the wrong time during your cycle, they don't have as many benefits. Also, if you're someone who's a poor sleeper, having the support of your kind of regular circadian rhythm can be really helpful. Mm. And if you've had a, a really rubbish night's sleep and you still get up at the same time, what it will mean is you're feeling a little bit more sleepy, a little bit more sleep pressure when you go to sleep at night. And hopefully that will kind of help you feel sleepy enough to sleep through the night without too many interruptions. So that's the most important one in my view, get up at the same time and ideally go to bed at the same time. And and I'm not a complete party pooper. If you want to go out and have an, <laughs> a good night out, that's that's fine. But don't do it too often and often a sort of sneaky nap before sleep loss can be quite good. So go to bed for an hour, have a a nap and then go out so that you can still set your alarm for the same time each day. Yeah. And this is called social jet lag, isn't it? So over the the weekend, yeah. So people are staying up earlier, getting up later, and then on Monday wondering why when they try and wake up, they're feeling awful. And I think I've heard people compare it to, well, you know, if you'd have caught a 
a plane to China or something over the weekend, maybe not that extreme, but it's kind of you, you've shifted your body clock that much in those two nights and two mornings. Um, that of course, then you're going to be waking up feet on Monday and it's going to be difficult. Um, is that an exaggeration or is that kind of what No, no, that, that, that's absolutely true. And there's right. some really good studies looking at the detrimental impact of shifting your clock too much, that right. um, it can make you more prone to, to cancer and heart disease and more prone to infections. It can really impact your mood. And even though it kind of feels natural, I'll sleep in a little bit more at the weekends, I'll feel great. Overall, actually, it's you will feel much better in yourself if you wake up at the same time every day. Maybe an extra half an hour at the weekends if you if you need it. If you're feeling but, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, uh, sticking to the same time is really important yeah. um, because when we're in sync with our, our body clocks, we feel our best. It's, it's really interesting that there's lots of experiments where people go and lock themselves in caves to try and synchronize themselves with, with their body clock. Um, and this originally sort of happened. There was a French man uh, who did 60 days back in, I think, 62. And his sleep was perfect because he was completely in sync. And there was one recently who, I think, it was 600 days, so completely missed COVID. And she didn't want to come out of the cave. Yeah, the Spanish lady, wasn't it? Yeah. Was she from Spain? Is that right? Yeah. I think that's right. And because she felt so good, we feel at our best when we're absolutely in sync with our bodies. And so when we're trying to kind of shift from uh, kind of different time zones, as anyone who's ever kind of mm -hmm. done a long haul flight, you feel rubbish. Yeah. And um, what you're doing when you're sort of sleeping in for extra two hours and then trying to shift back a couple of days later is you're kind of pushing your body into that jet lag state and it doesn't feel good. No, no, it doesn't at all. <laughs> right. So the other, another four oh, yeah. maybe, or even yeah, another yeah. couple, you know, it's, I'll leave that yeah. up to you. But <laughs> So my next one would be exercise. Uh, yeah. Exercise is great for sleep. Um, anyone who's kind of run a marathon or even kind of spent the day at the beach or whatever, it is really good at increasing your deep sleep and helping you get to sleep faster. But it doesn't need to be a marathon. It doesn't need to be strenuous exercise. Actually, the most important thing is consistency. Mm. So doing a little bit every day, whether that's a walk or a stretch or yoga or whatever you want to do, but doing it every day has a really positive impact on your sleep. Um, the, the third one, I would say, is having a bedtime routine. Mm. Uh, we do it for our kids, but actually... Uh, because we know that it works. You do you dim the lights, you do the hot bath, you do the story, and it works really well for children. But actually, it also works really well for adults. And it's all about, as you say, Sam, that kind of winding down of your uh, sympathetic nervous system, switching into the parasympathetic state. Our bodies love routine. And so if you uh, sort of set an alarm on your clock for this is when I'm going to begin my wind down routine. You then find the things that you like doing um, and include those. Maybe have mm -hmm. sort of a ritual. You sit in your, your favorite chair, you read a book, you put your blanket on in your PJs, whatever it is. And so you're preparing your body for sleep. That can, that can really help. And then I think number four would be alcohol. I'm going to sound like a, a complete fighter uh, <laughs> people in, in all senses, but actually alcohol is really detrimental to your sleep and that's for a couple of reasons um one it makes your sleep more broken um so you're much more likely to wake up lots of times during the night um but also uh you find that you don't get into the the, the same sort of sleep cycles and you uh, have less refreshing sleep and even though it does work as a sedative and anyone who's had too many gin and tonics knows you, you feel very sleepy and you might sort of pass out, whatever it is. Um, and it has a sedative effect in the early part over the rest of the night. Actually, it, it reduces your sleep quality. And the other thing it does, which is very important, is it suppresses your dreams. So you get much less dream sleep. And dream sleep is really important for our of creative thinking it's when all the parts of our brain are linked together it's also when we store our memories and um, separate the kind of memory part with the emotion so for example if you get 
step out in the road and get hit by a car. You'll be able to learn from the experience and know that it's not good to step out in the road without looking. But the kind of physical pain of the impact is then separated from the memory so that when you think back on that, you're able to learn from it without the kind of painful recollections. And when that part doesn't work so well, you're more prone to things like post-traumatic stress, but also anxiety, depression, other things. So dream sleep is really important for our emotional well-being. Oh, interesting. And you, you're echoing completely what a previous guest on the show has said, which is uh, that was James Hewitt, who's a human performance scientist. And I asked him this very question because we just so happened to get onto the topic of, of sleep and then spent about half of our conversation on sleep, actually, I think. Um, but kind of on, on, on different different topics, we also talked about caffeine and, and different things and that um, caffeine's effects on sleep. Um, but I had to ask him the question about alcohol and, you know, pose it to him that there are many people out there, aren't there, that say, well, it, it's a nightcap and I need it to unwind. unwind and relax um and you've just you've completely backed up exactly what he said about how that mm-hmm. might not be um a choice that is for your best interests if you want to improve your sleep and perform well the next day in in how it interrupts sleep and and affects the the REM cycle as well so thank you for sharing that again and thank you for sharing all, all the other tips around uh, movement and routines and yeah it's it's, it's really valuable thank you my pleasure <laughs> so a final question I would like to ask about supplements. Um, I don't know if this is something that you um, recommend, if if they work, the research behind them. Um, do do supplements play a role in sleep? And if so, which ones? Um, anything you'd like to, to explain to me about supplements would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And we get asked this a lot because uh, when you have a sleep problem, you just search around for anything that's going to fix it. And there, there are some supplements that that do make a difference. The impact is relatively small, right. um, but I'll go through the ones that are, are helpful. And I, I, I guess one other thing I just want to add is that for people who are having sleep problems, by the time they get to see me, they've normally tried the, the exercise, they've cut out caffeine, they've cut out alcohol, they've normally done all the lifestyle things. And often if you've got kind of an ingrained sleep problem, actually it's not a quick fix Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more in depth that the best therapy is what's called cbti so cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia it's it's different than what's used for anxiety depression it's much more about giving people tools and techniques and retraining their sleep so that they can achieve good sleep um and it's not it normally done over sort of four to six weeks. So often solutions for sleep, if it's become ingrained, are a little bit more complex and it's not a quick fix. Yeah. But if it's a more sort of mild sleep problem, then supplements can help and do have quite a good role. So the first one probably is melatonin. So melatonin has good evidence in kids and those over 55 that can help with particularly sleep onset, so falling asleep. Um, and can improve sleep overnight. So for over 55, you get about an extra 21 minutes per night of extra sleep if you use melatonin, which is pretty good over a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably fall asleep about sort of eight to 10 minutes faster. Um, so that, that, that one works. It's not available over the counter in the UK, um, though in other countries it's classed as a food supplement. And so you can buy it over the counter, for example, in Spain and uh, the, the United States, um, but just be aware that the doses are sometimes are a little bit variable. Um, but melatonin definitely does have a role, and sometimes just having something that you take and that helps you stop worrying about sleep can be really helpful. The evidence is a little bit more mixed between childhood and 55, but often with studies, they kind of throw everyone together in a big group and it doesn't look at the individual and so it might be worth something uh, something worth trying mm-hmm. um, the second one is magnesium uh, magnesium available from uh, health food stores uh, again can help with uh, sleep and is worth a, a try um, then kind of the old-fashioned things uh, would include valerian root uh, chamomile and lavender 
all of those do have evidence to support the, the kind of onset of sleep and uh, calming. Uh, and some of that may be linked to that sort of ritual of uh, calming down ready for bed. Uh, and the, the fourth one is tart cherries, which you can buy tart cherry juice again from uh, the uh, pharmacies and uh, can help with sleep. The evidence isn't huge uh, to support it, but it's one to try and it certainly won't do you any harm. No, of course not. Interesting. I've only heard of cherries being good for kind of an anti-inflammatory effect, like post-exercise. I've heard eating cherries is a good thing to do. I've never heard of that association with sleep. Yes, so it is. It uh, is. My understanding is that it it helps in the production of melatonin. Right. So uh, it then increases the, the the melatonin in the system. Interesting. And and going back to melatonin, I've heard that in teenagers that it might not be the best choice and that there can be some, um, did I hear kind of interruption to, to hormones and things like that? It can be a bit disruptive. Is that wrong? Do you know anything about that? And, and no worries if not, I'm just, just thought I'd ask the question yeah. while it was in my head. So with teenagers, the, the theory behind it, there haven't been any long-term studies right. regarding mel- melatonin and its safety. It's used really commonly, particularly in uh, little ones with ADHD and uh, autism spectrum disorder and can be really, really helpful. And um, the, but there's a, a theory that it might impact puberty. Mm. Um, it's at the moment more of a theory rather than any strong evidence. Um, and for that reason, people tend not to recommend taking it for more than four weeks, except by specialist advice. Um, But but teenagers are actually a really interesting one because a lot of the time it's not so much a sleep problem as such. It's more that their circadian rhythm tends to shift when they reach their teenage years. And this seems to be just a genetic thing that happens in your teens. And so they instinctively want to stay up late till kind of one, mm-hmm. two, three in the morning. And they just don't want to get out of bed in the morning because at seven o'clock when their alarm goes off, it's equivalent to, to two, three in the morning for us. And if anyone tried to get us up, then we would <laughs> tell them uh, to leave us alone. And so sometimes it's actually about circadian rhythms. And for those actually, um, there's different treatments uh, mainly around trying to shift the circadian rhythm, and that would be for a period of time using melatonin, light therapy, and exercise. Mm. And sometimes you can get pretty good results, very good results at shifting them. But you need the teenager to be motivated, which sometimes is the main problem. It's hard in teenagers, exactly. But mm. that, that's also interesting. Yeah, they've they've had this shift in their circadian rhythm, and we're saying no, you've got to get up to be at school and be sitting down at a desk and wide awake at eight in the morning. And it's, for I understand, like biologically speaking that's just so difficult for them and it, that is an unrealistic expectation is that there, there seems to be an argument for pushing school back later doesn't there in secondary schools yeah, starting absolutely. It later, and, on later. And, and there's really good evidence that when they do it that academically they perform better they engage more <sighs> they enjoy the school experience better and in the uk the, the start times are not too bad uh, I mean, they could go back a little bit, particularly mm. in those teenage years. But in the States, often they're starting at sort of seven in the morning. And for a teenager, that that's really tough. Yeah. Um, and so, so each of us have a kind of natural tendency towards being a, an early bird or a night owl. And that's set by our circadian rhythm and how long it takes for each of our uh, sort of uh, cells to do 24 hours on the clock. But it's not 24 hours for everyone. Most people, it's a little bit more than 24 hours, which means we have a tendency towards being a, a, a night owl. Mm. And for teenagers, if they also have a tendency to be a night owl, then they get pushed back. For some of them, it's much, much more difficult. Um, and so if you have kids that are really not engaging, sometimes it's worth having a conversation about kind of what's going on. Uh, do they sleep in until the three o'clock in the afternoon at weekends? Uh, because they may have shifted their circadian rhythm and just that pushing it back can make a difference. Right, right, addressing that, yeah, yeah. That, that's great. Thank you for, for sharing about the supplements as well. Um, 
but if I understand correctly, you're saying kind of um, life, those lifestyle approaches first. That those are your kind of first ports of call in terms of your the regular uh, routine and you know and that kind of thing. Sunlight in the morning is that right? Yes, sunlight. Okay. And actually, that that's another big one. Sunlight in the morning really, really important. And I think if I if I added that onto a list, it would be number five or maybe even a little bit yeah. higher because actually. It's great for switching off your melatonin production, mm. so the sleepy hormone overnight, giving you a boost of uh, the, all the kind of cortisol and your endorphins and everything making you feel good, your serotonin, and it's great for uh, mood. Um, but also it's great for locking in your circadian rhythm, so that mm. bright light helps us to keep our clock running at exactly 24 hours. Yeah. And I think we you can always notice the effects of that when you haven't done it. If if there's a day when I've kind of had a bit more of a lion and then I don't go outside straight away, I stay in and maybe just watch a bit of TV, maybe catch you up on some football or something like that, and then eventually don't get out until 12 or 1, and then it's cloudy as well. I feel like that's normally associated with me struggling to sleep that night and just and just not feeling great either, not feeling very energetic and alive. Um, whereas the days where... I wake up and and I know it's sunny, so I'm going right. I'm going to go straight outside. Maybe maybe do a bit of skipping in the park or something like that. On, on the spot, by the way, I'm not like skipping. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I look more like a, a boxer than a I don't know a seven year old. But anyway, um, I always feel better when when I do that, which of course yeah. is impossible in different situations. Completely understand that, but when possible, do it. I think. And I think it's important, even on a cloudy day, you right. get loads more. Uh, sort of melatonin effect with it switching off and uh, get more impact from natural light than you do from indoor light. And so even on a cloudy day, you'll get plenty of kind of of that good effect. So walk around, go outside, uh, get off the bus, stop early on your way to work, try and just find ways of being outdoors for just 10 minutes in the morning if you possibly can. Yeah. And if you're doubting that, then just get one of those light meters on your phone, can't you? Measure the light in, in inside, even in a really brightly lit room like I'm in now with the kind of the lights shining on because we're recording a video. And then compare that to going outside now. It's raining now, but I know that the 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 the, the number would be much higher. What is it? The the looks? The LUX, lux. is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The yeah. And and it, you're you're absolutely right that it's the difference is incredible. You'll, yeah. You because you'll be inside with bright lights and you'll be like, Oh, they're kind of yeah. you go outside and it, it's completely different in the thousand. Yeah, definitely. Right. Caitlin, thank you so much for breaking down so many aspects of sleep, um, talking about things that people can try. Um, I'm sure there are things in there that people haven't tried yet. And, and even so, hopefully it gives people some inspiration if they are struggling to sleep at the moment, um, that there are, there's, there's help out there and there are little tweaks that we can make to our day to, to help us sleep better. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every guest, and then I won't let you go until you tell me where people can connect with you and, and your website and things like that. So don't let me forget, because I did forget with the last guest to ask him. <laughs> so I won't do that this time. Um, first question is, um, what is the first question? Oh yeah, what's that um, one lesson you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? So I think for me, I had, I had a wonderful child where I had a really good grounding in lots of things like exercise and being outdoors and nutrition, but we were quite a frenetic family, always on, always busy, always kind of trying to work towards goals and achieve and kind of active. And I think I found I had to learn to give myself time to rest and time to unwind and time for silence. And um, I'm a middle child. And so there was never a moment when it was quiet. And I was quite almost uncomfortable in silence for a long time. And I think our brains actually need a little bit of time of quiet to process and be in our own headspace and learn how to feel comfortable there. And I think if there was one thing I'd change would be a little bit of time that uh, as a family or individually where that self-care 
and quiet and uh, rest was made part of our kind of waking normal day rather than just something that we did when we were shattered at the end of the day. And what's one habit I could add to my life to help me feel great? I think I think probably I would say that the breath work, um, mm. that just five minute exercise, because I think all of us can find five minutes. We struggle probably to find an hour to go to a class, but just having five minutes in our lives to do some breathing. And it's amazing. Almost as you start, you can feel your body just switching into this new mode. And the more you do it, the better it feels. And the first few times it takes kind of maybe the full five minutes before it starts, but then suddenly your body learns, ah, this is my time to to switch and relax. And finally, if you could buy everyone in the world one book, which book would you buy them? Um, this is a tough question because I, I tend to read fiction more, but the one that actually really speaks to me and I've really enjoyed that, that's non-fiction is um, some cartoon poems by sort of philosopher and poet called um, Michael Lunig, who's from Australia. Okay. And it's uh, called The um, Curly Pajama uh, uh, Diaries. And it's about these two friends, Vasco Pajama and uh, Mr. Curly, who are long lost friends who talk to each other in letters about all the wonderful things in life. And um, it talks about rest and switching off and busyness of our modern world. And it's lovely because it gives you little lessons that you can take away, um, which are funny and engaging and so, so important. I particularly like the one about rest and sleep. Of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. People that want to connect with you, where can they find you? And tell us about your your website as well and, and where people can go to find out more about the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, it's called The Sleep Project and uh, you can find it find us at thesleepproject.life. And on there, we've got loads of free information and downloads and blogs all about sleep. Um, to try and help anyone who's having sleep problems. And we help people from the littlest babies to uh, people as they get older and through every change during your life, uh, including sort of menopause transition and all those times when our sleep can become more challenging. Um, and uh, from there, you can link in to LinkedIn and we've got an Instagram with lots more videos and advice that people can uh, use. Um, we also do bespoke programs with kind of one-on-one -on -one, as well as we're about to come out with some online programs for insomnia to, to help people guide themselves through it with additional support. So uh, come and check us out. Brilliant. Right. Really appreciate your time, Caitlin. And yeah, I'm looking forward to staying in touch and to getting this episode out there. Fantastic. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. I really hope you found my conversation with Caitlin insightful. If you did enjoy the episode, please share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful. You can, of course, also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you very much again, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another episode very soon.